will confederate the whole down 48 the way it should have been. Save that confederate money, boys, the South shall rise again. When we whoop them Yanks, we'll open up their banks and declare a dividend. Yeah, save that confederate money, boys, the South shall rise again. There's something about the money of a place. When you travel, those new coins in your pocket are the closest connection you have with day-to-day life in that place. As soon as you get off the plane, your American money goes someplace safe and you start passing around colorful bits of paper or metal with kings, queens, birds, whatever on them. And to the people around you, it's all perfectly normal. It's cool, and I think that makes it easier to relax because you allocate yourself a certain amount of this play money and you go have fun. The first souvenirs that you save from your trip are those loose coins in your pocket when you get home. They're not just things to remember your trip. They are the things that made you part of that place. Well, today we're doing another true crime episode, but no one gets murdered in this one. This is a moving through Georgia extra. Samuel Upham and Confederate Counterfeiting. Upham had a small store in Philadelphia where he sold newspapers and cosmetic items. He was an entrepreneur, and in his shop you could buy Upham's hair dye, Upham's cream soda, or various other items bearing his name. He also sold patriotic stationery. He contracted with local printers to produce things like postcards with Jefferson Davis's head on a jackass or envelopes with Winfield Scott attacking a seven-headed monster. One day in 1862, Upham came to work to find that copies of the Philadelphia Inquirer were selling out all over town. The attraction, strangely enough, was the reprint of a Confederate $5 note on the front page. People in Philadelphia were seeing Confederate money for the first time. One of the main sources for this episode is a book called A Counterfeiter's Paradise by Ben Tarnoff. You can get it online, and his book does have a reproduction of that particular note. The Roman goddess Minerva is on one end, George Washington's on the other, and there's a lot of information in the middle. This note will pay $5 to the bearer six months after the ratification of a treaty of peace between the Confederate States and the United States. Until then, it was fundable in 8% stock or bonds of the Confederate States of America and receivable in payment of all dues except export duties. If you look up Confederate money now, you see a lot that have the mention of a treaty. Paper money, or at least federally issued paper money, was a fairly new idea when Upham ran his small shop. The Legal Tender Act of 1862 created paper money in the form of bills that could be circulated. Something like this had been done to finance the War of 1812, but those bills were never meant to become an established type of currency. The South needed money for their war effort, but on the basis of those very issues that had caused them to secede, they were not willing to jump into establishing taxes. Money from overseas sales of cotton were profitable at first, but with the Union blockade, that money source was disappearing. The South just didn't have a lot of gold or silver to back their money. The total gold and silver reserves of the South 
didn't equal the gold just being held in New York City at the time. So they started printing notes based on promises, a payout in gold six months after the war's conclusion, if the Confederacy was still standing. That Confederate bill may have been worthless in Philadelphia, I mean more so, because it was the wrong size, it was printed badly and only had one side if you cut it out of the newspaper, but there was potential there. Upham visited the print shop that created the plate from which the reproduction bill was printed and ordered 3,000 copies. He sold them as reproductions with a small caption at the bottom reading, Facsimile Confederate Note, sold wholesale and retail by S.C. Upham, 403 Chestnut Street, Philadelphia. No dishonesty involved, and they were one cent each. And he sold out. Then he stocked a run of $10 Confederate notes, which, again, sold out. This was no criminal enterprise, remember. Instead of running off notes in a shed far off back in the woods, he just ordered them from legitimate print shops. The North didn't recognize those scraps of paper as actual money, so Upham was not counterfeiting. He was not breaking the law. And just to be sure, he did include that little line of print at the bottom, which clearly stated that the note was a fake. I mean, you could cut that part off easily enough, but who would? The phony bills made their way into the Confederacy quickly enough. Newspapers in Richmond denounced the Yankee scoundrel who flooded their city with forgery. And they knew who was behind it. There were ads in the Philadelphia newspapers advertising sales of Upham souvenirs. Counterfeiters may once have been somewhat heroic figures, you know, clever common people finding a way to profit by what was considered basically a victimless crime, but with the war, things were different. A Richmond newspaper announced that the attempt to pass a counterfeit Confederate note is certainly an act of hostility against our government. Upham was producing his, well, he called them curiosities, by the pound and selling them through the mail a hundred at a time. He even included the words of that Richmond newspaper in an advertisement for Confederate notes and shin plasters. A shin plaster is a paper note worth less than one dollar. This was a big deal. Someone who could buy cotton in the South with counterfeit money could sell it for three times the price up North for real money. Also, the fake bills often found their way into the hands of Union troops who would purchase food from the locals as they marched through the South. The Southern farmers had no choice. If they didn't accept the money, which was probably fake, the soldiers would just take the stuff anyway. Soldiers were sometimes caught carrying stacks of fake currency, but who cared? The North didn't consider it money anyway, so to them no crime was being committed. The Confederate Secretary of the Treasury admitted there was nothing he could really do about the problem, so the legislature responded by making counterfeiting a capital crime. One forger in Richmond was publicly hanged in 1862. Upham was making a lot of money by making a lot of money. A few months into his enterprise, he was selling 35 varieties of Confederate money, and you could also purchase the bills without the pre-printed signature or serial number. The purchaser could add them to create an even higher quality counterfeit. 
At one point, Jefferson Davis himself demanded some action be taken, and a law was passed ordering death by hanging for any captured Yankee soldier found in the possession of counterfeit money. Inflation was also running rampant through the South, and even legitimate paper money was quickly losing value. But the war had to be financed, and the Southern printers kept printing Confederate bills. The Confederate grayback started out the war as a fairly strong currency, but as the fortunes of the South turned, the prospect of ever redeeming that bill became more and more unlikely. In 1863, the value of the Confederate dollar was dropping fast, quickly enough to actually drive Upham out of business. Competitors were now selling Confederate money quicker and cheaper than he could, and demand for Upham's curiosities had begun to dry up. He knew when to quit. He eventually sold his store and opened another one where he sold quack remedies. He knew his business and he did just fine. Upham bragged at one point that a bounty of $10,000 had been put on his head and that some Southerners felt he did more damage to the Confederacy than the Union generals. If you do a quick Google search, his notes and his postage stamps, as well as some ads and some fairly unique bottles for his products, can be found online. That's a great story, and I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast focusing on the history of Northeast Georgia, but we sometimes do wider subjects than that, like this one. If you have any questions, comments, or complaints, please address them to movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com, all one word. I love hearing from you. One follow-up to this story, Upham's biggest competitor was a printer in New York who began to sell notes cheaper and in greater quantities than Upham. His name was Winthrop Hilton, and the Confederacy would actually take steps to stop his operation. Confederate spies in New York wrote a series of coded letters to a known Confederate agent in Canada. They knew that the letters would be intercepted and the code would be cracked. In the letters, they implied that Hilton was printing genuine Confederate currency and was planning to ship a load of money and the printing plates to make more to Richmond through Canada and the Bahamas. It wasn't until the Southern Secretary of the Treasury, learning of the arrest, announced that he had nothing to do with this plan, so Hilton was eventually exonerated and freed. Upham was long out of the printing business by this point, so he avoided being the victim himself.